0: I'll be reading from Titus chapter 1, verse 1 through 4, and in the Red Pew Bible, that's going to be on page 998. 998. Paul, a servant of God, and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with good godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested in the word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God, our Savior, to Titus, my true child, in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father, and Christ Jesus our Savior.
1: If you haven't already got your Bible open to Titus, please do that. Titus chapter 1, the passage uh, Jeff just read a moment ago, will be the subject of our lesson this evening. A couple of weeks ago we began a series of lessons on the book of Titus entitled Living Up to Your Faith. And there's three short chapters in Titus, there are only 46 verses in the book. Chapter 1 deals with living up to your faith in the church, being God's man, God's woman in the church that belongs to Jesus Christ. Chapter 2 deals with living up to your faith in the home. And especially chapter two verses one through 10 contains a great number of instructions to all kinds of people, older men, older women, younger women, younger men, even servants or slaves in a household. What does it look like to serve Jesus in our home? And then Titus chapter three deals with living up to our faith in the community or in the world. The, the people that we encounter on a daily basis, the people that we rub shoulders with in the marketplace, those people need to know that we belong to Jesus Christ as well. And the way we treat them has a great impact on whether or not they have a good understanding and impression of who Jesus is. Live up to your faith. It's a challenge that Titus is giving us. And as you study this short book, what you'll notice is that there are some powerful passages that can change our hearts and our lives if we'll just let them. Tonight we give our attention to Titus chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. And I've entitled, this is the introduction to the book, by the way, these first four verses. I've entitled the lesson, A Message from High Command. I like submarine movies, and there are a bunch of them, submarine movies, you know what I'm talking about, Hunt for Red October, those kinds. And it seems that, and this is the way it works in the US Navy, on nuclear submarines, they have what's called the two-man rule. And if the submarine captain or the, uh, the radio officer gets a, a, an alert to launch the nuclear weapons, to, to send those missiles off the submarine to their destination, there must be some authentication that takes place. And so if you watch these movies, you'll see that there's usually a box like the one on the screen where, you know, two men have to have keys and not just one person can launch these missiles and not just anybody uh, can send the message to launch the missiles. And then they have inside this box, some authentication codes and the codes have to match because hypothetically, Anybody could communicate with that submarine. If you just had the right technology, anybody could send the message to launch the missiles. But they want to make sure that before they push the button and send missiles launched off the submarine, they want to make sure that the message they're receiving to launch is authentic. And so they use these codes. They crack these codes open to to see, is this really from high command? Is, Is this order to launch really from an authorized source? Look at Titus chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. It says some really interesting things. Let's just read again the passage. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness. What's Paul doing? He's introducing himself. This is the way you'd begin a letter. You'd, you'd talk about who you are. Then you'd talk about who you're sending the letter to. And then you'd give a greeting. That's standard. That's characteristic. But what's Paul doing? He's telling Titus a bunch of things about who he is and especially about his apostleship. And the question I have is, why is he doing that? Does Titus not know who Paul is? Well, certainly he does. Titus has worked with Paul very closely Why is Paul telling us about his apostleship? Read on in verse two, in hope of eternal life, which God who never lies promised before the ages began. And at the proper time, God manifested in his word, this hope of eternal life through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God, our savior. I, Paul have been entrusted with preaching from God and I am working for the faith of God's elect. And I'm trying to build up their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness. That's what he's saying in this passage. Does Titus not know these things? And then he says in verse four to Titus, "My true child and a common faith." Did Titus not know who he was? Why is Paul saying these things? Grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. Grace and peace to you. Why does the mess? Why does the book begin this way? because Paul would work closely with Titus. Why does Paul have to tell Titus so much about him and his apostleship and then tell Titus so much about who he thinks Titus is? Why does this happen? And the answer is because these four verses act as something like an authentication code because Titus was going to go around to the churches on the island of Crete and Titus was going to install elders. That's never contentious, is it? People never get their feathers ruffled when somebody goes around installing elders. That never happens nowadays. But Titus was going to have to do that. He was going to have to go to churches and he was going to have to select men who he thought were full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And he was going to appoint them and install them as elders. What gives you the right, Titus? Who said you could do this? And not only that, but Titus was going to have to confront some people and rebuke them sharply. Well, who told you, Titus, that you could do this? Titus is bringing this little short letter, these three chapters, these 46 verses with him. And all a person would have to do is open up and read the first four verses to know that Titus' message and Titus' mission are authentic. And so as you read the introduction of the book of Titus, Paul's not saying these things so Titus will learn them, although he probably needs to be reminded. Paul's saying these things because he's talking about what Titus is doing, the mission that Titus is on to install elders in every congregation and to rebuke people and to teach people the gospel and to teach them how to conduct themselves in the church and in the world and in the home. Titus has that mission from God himself. It came from God to the apostle Paul and then from the apostle Paul to Titus. And you better listen to what Titus is saying. That's what those first four verses do, authentication. So the function of the passage, Titus 1, verses 1 through 4, two reasons. Number one, to authenticate the servant. Listen to Titus, church. Listen to what he's telling you. Listen to and cooperate with him. When he comes and teaches you things about Jesus and about the gospel and about obeying God's commands, listen to Titus because he's working under my authority, Paul says. And then the second reason for this passage is to warn opponents If you look at Titus chapter 1 verses 9 and 10, there are many insubordinate, there are many opponents, there are divisive people. Titus chapter 3 verses 11 through 13, there are people who are causing division and people who are opposing sound teaching, sound doctrine. You better watch out if you're going to oppose the things that Titus says because what Titus says comes from God. That's what these four verses do. And you say, well, that's well and good for Titus because he lived 2,000 years ago and he had a really difficult work a difficult assignment. But what about us? Why, Why would we need to study these four verses? And here's why. The same principles and the same ideas that authenticate what Titus is saying and doing are the exact same principles and ideas that will authenticate what we are doing. Who decided that we ought to worship on the first day of the week? Who decided that the church here in Katy ought to have elders? Who decided that we ought to have deacons? Who is the one that decided that men ought to lead and worship? Who made those decisions? God did. How do you know he did? Authentication. This passage does that for us just as much as it did for Titus. How can we know that the message and the things that we're saying and doing really did come from God? Incidentally, as you look at Titus chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, I want you to notice that God is mentioned five times in four verses. You see that? And not only is God mentioned five times in four verses, Jesus Christ is mentioned twice. That's seven references to God. And if you really want to add the word godliness which means to live in a way that shows devotion and piety before God, godliness is found. And so there's seven references to God himself and one reference to godliness. You'd be hard pressed to find a passage anywhere else in the Bible that talks as much about God in as short a space as these four verses an authentication code, a message from high command. When Titus goes to these churches on the island of Crete and he tells them how they ought to conduct themselves, he rebukes people, you better listen to Titus because he's got the message from high command. What makes our message today authentic? How can we know? You know, there's so many people in the world that are saying different things religiously. There's so many different ideas and different doctrines. And if you don't like what you hear, you can go somewhere else down the street, down the the different part of town, and you can find somebody who will tell you what you wanna hear. I guarantee that. How do you know that what you're hearing is authentic? Four tests, here they are. As you look at Titus chapter one, verse one, the first test is this. Did the apostles deliver this? It's a really important test. Don't just overlook this. The idea that the apostles preached this message, that needs to be a question that we ask. Are we preaching the same gospel, the same message that the apostles preached? Did they deliver this? Because the apostles were a special group of people in the early church. Notice how Paul begins the book. Paul, a servant of God. He talks about his personal relationship with God. I serve God. I've been bought. I'm owned by God. I'm directed by God. He leadeth me, Oh, blessed thought. I'm a servant of God, but more than that, in an official capacity, I am an apostle of Jesus Christ. And the word apostle means one who is sent on a mission. It's a military term. Somebody who's sent on a mission. When I was in uh, the Corps of Cadets at Texas A and M, the, the upperclassmen—I don't know if you know how the service academies work—and and Texas, A&M, but the upperclassmen would send the freshmen on what we called details missions, and they would be silly things sometimes. Hey, go get me a bowl of Jello, you know, at the cafeteria, something like that, or go uh, go you know haze somebody down there. Not that we ever haze anybody, but <laughs> sending on a mission, and I expect the mission to be fulfilled. The word apostle means that Paul has been selected by Jesus Christ. Apostles did not campaign for the job. They did not volunteer and say, hey, I'd like to be an apostle. Jesus picked the apostles. He alone picked the apostles. You can't decide today that you wanna be an apostle because that's not the way this office works. As a matter of fact, when you look at the New Testament, there were only 14 men who ever became apostles in the official sense of Jesus Christ. You can read your Old Testament from front to back, Genesis to Malachi, and you'll never find an apostle. They did not exist in the Old Testament. Then when you get to the book of Matthew, you'll find that Jesus chose them one by one, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And Judas died. They replaced Judas in Acts chapter 1 with a man named Matthias. And then Paul became an apostle and he calls himself one who was born out of due season in First Corinthians 15. There were only 14 men who ever served in the official capacity as apostles in the New Testament. And so when Paul says to Titus and to us, I am an apostle of Jesus Christ, what he's saying I've been chosen for a special mission by Jesus Christ. I've been chosen to take the gospel to the Gentiles and to the people of Israel in faraway places. This is my mission, this is my task. And you listen to Titus because he's doing the work that I've left him to do. I'm an apostle. As a matter of fact, since the original 14 apostles have died, there has never been another apostle in the same sense that Peter or Andrew or James or Paul was an apostle. It is a special role that existed for a short period of time, and here's what Jesus said about the apostles. In John chapter 16, before he departed this earth, Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you. He's talking to Peter, Andrew, James, and John. I have many things to say to you, but you can't bear them now. I'm not telling you everything. Point to me the passage in in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John where Jesus ever talked about an elder or where he ever gave qualifications for elders. You don't read that in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, why not? Because Jesus still had many things to say and they could not bear them yet. That information came later. And so Jesus says in verse 13, so apostles, when the spirit of truth comes, when the Holy Spirit comes, he, the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. And he's not gonna speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he's going to speak and he will declare to you apostles, the things that are to come. So Jesus left the apostles with the mission of receiving more information, more truth. And it was going to come from Jesus himself by means of the Holy Spirit to the apostles. And the apostles were supposed to deliver that to the world. So when Paul says, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ, he's saying something very significant that we ought to pay attention to. Again, Ephesians 2 verses 19 and 20, he's talking about the church and he says, you church are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone. What does that mean? It means that when we strive to serve Jesus Christ and to please Jesus Christ, we have to ask this question. Are we preaching and practicing the same gospel that the apostles delivered to the world? When somebody asks you, what must I do to be saved? Are you giving the same answer the apostles would give? When somebody asks you about the way the church ought to be organized, are you giving the same answer the apostles would give? If not, your message is not authentic. It's not really from God. We rest upon apostolic authority even today, even though those 14 men have been dead for 2000 years. The message that they delivered is the authentic message that came from God and we are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. That's why Paul leads in Titus chapter one verse one with I am a servant of God, I've given my heart, soul and mind to him and I am an apostle of Jesus Christ. I want to serve in the way that he's commanded me to serve. Did the apostles deliver the message that you're preaching and practicing? Authenticity test number one. Number two. Look at verse one again, the latter part of it in Titus chapter one, verse one, and the question is this. When we're looking for an authentic message, did it really come from high command? Here's the question. Does the message build faith and does the message produce godliness? Mark it down in your Bible. False teaching, false ideas always, always lead to ungodliness. False ideas always, even if it's just, you think it's some esoteric, some you know, academic idea, if it's false, if it's untrue, if it's not consistent with the gospel and you believe it, it always finds its way into your life, into your words. And it always leads to ungodliness. And so the question of authenticity here is, does the message that you believe and that you're preaching, does it build faith? And does it produce godliness? Notice what Paul says in chapter one, or Titus chapter one, verse one. He says, my apostleship is for the sake of God's elect, for the sake of the faith of God's elect. You see that? That first phrase. And so when Paul is sending Titus to Crete and he's going to work with churches in Crete, which is full of liars, Titus chapter one, verse 12, and full of lazy gluttons and evil beasts. When Titus is going to work with these people, there are three broad concerns that Paul has for them. In the first place, he has their faith in mind. The faith of God's elect. What does he mean by elect? He's talking about the church. He's talking about you and me. When somebody obeys the gospel, they become one of God's elect. And brothers and sisters and friends, that is Old Testament terminology. We say sometimes that in the Old Testament that Israel was God's chosen people, don't we? Another way of saying that is that Israel was in the Old Testament, they were God's elect. And here's Paul, a Jew, who grew up believing that about Israel, and he was right to believe that. Here's Paul, a Jew, who has now seen the light in serving Jesus Christ, and now instead of talking about Old Testament Israel, he's talking about the new Israel, the church. And he says, my ministry as an apostle is all about building up the faith of God's elect. The church is the Israel of God. Romans chapter nine, verses one through six. Galatians chapter three, verses 27 and following. The church is the Israel of God. We're sons of God and sons of Abraham through faith in Christ Jesus, it says there in Galatians chapter three. We're the elect of God. We're the chosen of God. And Paul says, I'm about building up the faith of God's people. Does the message that you hear, do the things that you say to others Does it build up people's faith? Does it cause them to know God better, to understand Him more, to appreciate what He's done, and to put their confidence in God's promises? Notice when you get to chapter one, verse two, he talks about in hope of eternal life. You know what faith is? Faith is trusting what you can't see. Faith is trusting that God has made promises and he's gonna make good on those promises and I'm gonna live my life for him even though it doesn't make sense to me and even though I can't see the fulfillment of those promises, I'm gonna walk by faith. And Paul says, I want people to be faithful to God. I want them to have that kind of faith. Not only that, I'm concerned about their knowledge. Their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness. In a world... Titus' world, which was filled with all kinds of lies and all kinds of deception, Paul says, I want people to know the truth. Incidentally, as you look at Titus 1, verse 1, the truth, it's singular. I am the way, the truth, and the life, John 14, verse 6. You can know the truth, and the truth will set you free, it says, John chapter 8, verse 32. And the truth is practical. The truth always leads to godliness, a God-focused, a God-centered life. And so, one of the questions that we have to ask ourselves, elders, preachers, Bible class teachers, parents, one of the questions we have to ask ourselves is this, is what I'm saying to people really from God? Because if it is, it's gonna build up their faith, It's going to add to their knowledge of the truth and it's going to lead them to godliness. And if we tell them anything that doesn't come from God and we start preaching a message that doesn't come from the Holy Spirit through the apostles to us, if we preach any other message, any other gospel, it's not going to do these things. Does it build faith? Does it produce godliness? Question worth thinking about. You know, there are a lot of things you could do with the Bible. There are a lot of lessons you could teach from the Bible and you could teach them and you could talk about the Bible in such a way that you're not building faith. Did Adam have a belly button? What are you talking about, John? I I mean, did, did Adam have a belly button? He was the first person ever created and he was created out of the dust. And I mean, he was never born. So did he have a belly button? And we could debate that and we could talk about that for a long time. But the question is, it's a Bible, I guess, thought Does it produce faith in anybody? Does it help them to live a more godly life? That's what I'm talking about. Is it authentic? Verses two and three, the next test. Is what I'm saying God-centered? Is the message that I'm teaching and preaching, is the message that we believe, is it God-centered and God-focused? And you'll never find any two verses that say more about God and his scheme of redemption than these two verses. They're just full of all kinds of things, all kinds of truth and ideas. Notice, notice, As you look at verses two and three, in hope of eternal life, which God who cannot lie promised before time began, and it now is manifested at the proper time in his word through the preaching with which I've been entrusted, Paul says, it's God-centered, it's God-focused, it's about him, it's about his plan, it's about what he wants for our lives. Is that the gospel you believe, the gospel you preach? Notice this passage deals with the gift of God. God's on your side Even when you're his enemy, God wants you to have eternal life. Do people get that impression from you? Do people get the impression that you're really serious about them being saved and going to heaven and having eternal life? Do they get that from you? Is that the message you're communicating? It's God-centered because that's his heart. It's a gift, Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Notice the character of God, the God who cannot lie. Years ago, I wrote a bulletin article about things God cannot do. A lot of people say, well, God's all-powerful, God's omnipotent, He's all-powerful. That's true, but there are some things that God cannot do. For example, God cannot turn a sin into righteousness, He can't. If he could, Jesus died in vain. Somebody had to pay the price for our sin. God cannot turn a sin into righteousness. Somebody has to die when somebody sins. But another thing God cannot do, he cannot lie. When I was a kid, I used to lay awake at night and I worry about things like this. What happens if you live your life for Jesus? And what happens if you die and then you get to the judgment day and God says, You know what, I changed my mind. It's all a big joke. I've decided differently. You know, the gospel, that that was a good idea, but I'm not gonna do that. Our faith, brothers and sisters and friends, is based on the character of a God who cannot and does not lie. It's in his nature to not lie. As a matter of fact, Hebrews chapter six, verse 18 tells us that it is impossible for him to lie. It's a God-centered message. The purpose of God is in view here. God promised eternal life before time began. You ever follow somebody, maybe it's your dad, and you get the impression after a little while that this guy really doesn't have any idea where he's going. He's just making things up as he goes along. He's leading me. He acts like he knows what he's doing, but he doesn't. God's not like that. God had a plan before time began and he's not changing his plan for anybody. His plan was promised before time began and the message that we preach, the gospel that we give to people, that we offer to people, it's about a plan that had its conception in the mind of God before he ever said, let there be light. The timing of God is in view here. At the proper time, God manifested eternal life. He manifested the gospel. He showed it to the world. David and Abraham and Adam and those Old Testament characters, they got a little glimpse of what God had in mind, but they still had no idea about what Jesus was going to come and do. They wanted to look into these things, but they couldn't. And they, just, they were longing to see how God's plan would unfold. But then Galatians 4 verse 4 says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. When the fullness of time came, when God decided the time was right, the proper time, Somebody says, Well, Brother John, why were there not apostles in the Old Testament? Because God didn't see the need for apostles in the Old Testament. Well, why were there only 14 of them? Because God only saw the need for 14 of them. Why haven't there been any apostles since then? Because it's not the proper time. It's God's timing, not ours. He manifested salvation at the proper time through His Word. We teach people the Word of God, the message that comes from Jesus Christ, and the message is what's revealed. That's what the apostles are giving to the world. And so Titus is going to take this little short book and he's going to tell those older women how they ought to behave themselves. He's going to tell those younger women how they ought to love their husbands. He's going to tell those younger men how they ought to be sober-minded. They ought to live lives of integrity and character. What gives you the right, Titus? God does because he's manifested these things now in his word. And we need to listen. This is the plan that God had from eternity past, how we ought to live our lives, how we ought to serve Jesus Christ. And this preaching has been entrusted to us, the apostles, Paul says. And now I want you to take this message, Titus, and I want you to share it with those people on the island of Crete. I want you to build up the church. I want you to create strong congregations. You listen to me, if we emphasize properly the gospel, people are gonna say, what a great God we serve. If we properly emphasize the message that comes from God through the apostles, people are gonna see God more fully and they're gonna know him more richly and deeply. And one of the questions we always ought to ask, and I don't care what topic you're preaching or teaching about, one of the questions we always ought to ask is, is God at the center of this message? Is his word and his will and his promises and his purposes, are they being clearly brought forth and seen? Are they? Because you can teach a really nice sounding lesson and not very much of God in it. Is it God-centered? Notice how God's referred to. He's God our savior and I love that. I wanna tell you why. God's not some monster looking at your life and looking at my life and trying to pick out all the faults that he can. He's not somebody with a hammer ready to smack us as soon as we do the wrong thing. That is not who God is. He is our savior. He wants us to be saved. He wants us to have eternal life. He wants the very best for us. That's who God is, the salvation of God. And brethren, that needs to come through in the way we talk to people. It needs to come through in the way that we deal with people in our lives. God's on your side. God wants what's best for you. You make yourself an enemy of God. The Bible says what it says about those things, but it's not because God chose to be your enemy. It's because you chose to be his. You need to turn and repent because he wants what's best. He's our savior. He's our judge. Yes, but he's our savior in this passage. God wants us to preach from his heart, not our own. Is it God-centered? Do people find out and know more about God because of what's being said and what's being believed? And then number four, test of authenticity. You break those tests. Is this message really from high command? Did it really come from God? Well, is it God-centered? Does it produce faith and godliness? Is it from the apostles? Is it the same message the apostles preached? Is it reproducible in any culture? Look at verse four. Again, this is just a standard opening of a letter in the, old, in the uh, ancient times. You talk about the sender, you talk about the recipient, and then you give a greeting. And so now we get to the greeting, uh, the uh, recipient and greeting. He says in verse four to Titus, my true child in a common faith. You and I, we kind of read over that. And we say, yeah, Paul and Titus, they work together. And they, No, 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 stop for just a minute and think about what's happening. Some of the people, if you read later in Titus chapter one, that Titus is gonna have to talk to are those of the circumcision. People who were Jews and they wanted to have an impression, uh, uh, they wanted to have influence on the church. Those of the circumcision. And here comes Titus. And what we know about Titus from Galatians two verse three is that Titus was a Gentile. And Titus was uncircumcised. And Paul was a Jew, Philippians 3, verse 5, a Hebrew of Hebrews. And Titus is being given this message and he's been given these orders to go and to appoint elders in the churches. And he's been given these orders to to, to correct people and rebuke people and teach people. And he's a Gentile. And Paul says, you may be a Gentile, Titus, but I want you to know this. I want you to know how I feel about you and what's true in actuality. You are my true child. Paul had taught Titus, Paul had probably baptized Titus and Paul was a mentor to Titus and he says, you're my true child. We are spiritual family when we obey the gospel. No matter where we come from, no matter what heritage we have, we become family in Christ. And not only that, in our common faith, He wants the people that hear Titus to know that not only is Titus related by spiritual birth to Paul, he wants them to know that Titus is preaching exactly the same sermons that Paul would preach. And he's saying exactly the same things over, you know, a a drink, a a coffee, you know, know, in in a living room. He's saying exactly the same things to people that Paul would say if he were in his place, because we have a common faith. We believe the same things, we practice the same things. And what's interesting about all this in verse four is that just in a little small verse you find it doesn't matter whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. It doesn't matter where you come from or who your parents were or what color your skin is. What matters is do you know Jesus Christ? Is it reproducible in any culture, this message? Are all welcome? Is the gospel truly for all? You know, sometimes people preach a gospel that's not. It's not truly for everybody. It's not authentic, if that's true. What do people find when they obey the gospel? The result of obedience is always, always the same two things, grace and peace. Grace has to do with the blessings of God and peace has to do with the right relationship with God and others. And when we obey the gospel, grace and peace are always the result. And we ought to pray that for one another because that's exactly what the apostles prayed for people that they wrote to. What do you hope for other people? I hope they have grace. I hope they have blessings from God. And I hope they have peace. Not only peace with God, but peace with each other because that's what happens when we obey the authentic gospel the gospel that comes from God himself. You know, this is a really long introduction to a book. Only 46 verses in Titus, four verses of introduction. And by the time you get to the end of the introduction to Titus, you're already almost 10% of the way through the book. Did you know that? Almost 10% of the way through the book, just in those four verses. But God wants people to know that you can know and you can have confidence that you're obedient to the message that's His message because it's a message from high command. Do you need to obey the gospel this evening? Do you need to follow the path and the pattern that the apostles have set forth before us? That we ought to repent and be baptized, every one of us so that we can know Jesus Christ? Do you need to do that tonight? Or maybe you need to repent because you haven't been living up to your faith and you want to obey God we want to pray for you. We want to pray for salvation and for your uh, repentance and for you to be restored to God. We want to be able to pray for you and pray with you about those things. If we could help you in any way, why don't you make your way down the aisle. Well, together we stand and while we sing.